Hey guys, I am Caleb Giddings, and welcome to a special episode of Gun Day Brunch, brought to you by Taurus USA and Guns.com. If you're looking for information on reliable, affordable firearms for personal protection, home defense, sport, and whatever other legal things you want to use them for, check out our products at Taurus USA. And if you'd like to buy those guns, you can click the little link on the product page to go to Guns.com. Now, the reason this is a special episode is Keith and Jack aren't here, which is fantastic for me because I finally don't have to deal with them talking over each other and not understanding how to sequence on a Zoom call. Um, but in all seriousness, I have my friend uh, Tessa Booth here, who is the uh, owner of Armed and Styled. She is a YouTube content creator, a consultant for Phil Philster and LTT and all sorts of other stuff. So Tessa, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Like, what do you do now? And then we'll backtrack and talk about how you got here. Okay, what do I do now? So you kind of did an overview of that. Right now I'm, you know, making content on YouTube. And uh, I also run Filster's YouTube channel and do some customer service and stuff for them. Um, and I am actively kind of pursuing competitive shooting in my own time. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm doing right now. How I got here... Uh, I married a guy who liked guns <laughs> and the rest is history, I guess. Uh, so about uh, three years ago or three or four years ago, I, you know, my husband, and I moved to a new place. There was a mass shooting that occurred and I realized that carrying a gun was a thing that I needed to do. It was no longer a thing that I thought maybe I would get to eventually. It was like, okay, this is the period of time when I need to learn how to carry gun, learn how to shoot a gun, probably should learn how to do that too. Um, and started pursuing that with some seriousness and some intention uh, back in late 2019 or like early, maybe early 2019. Uh, and I decided I want to share that process uh, on Instagram and kind of share how you can dress like a girl and still, you know, know how to shoot and still carry a gun on your day to day. Uh, and that kind of developed into where I'm at today. I just kind of started sharing my journey as I learned more about shooting, learned more about concealment. And that's kind of how I started working for Filster as well. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of the the general overview of how that all happened and what I'm doing today. Now, relevant for uh, my listeners, what was your first gun again? <laughs> um, I... I I know that it was a revolver, but you that, probably could tell me what revolver that's, it was. That's the one that I that I'm getting after. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Tess and I have talked before. I actually did an interview with her for um, America's First Freedom a couple of years ago, and you mentioned to me that the first gun that you ever had that was anything like a carry gun or a close approximation of that was a small uh, 357 Magnum caliber revolver, which is one of those things where we all recommend that's probably not the optimal first gun for anybody because they're difficult <laughs> to shoot. The sights are garbage. If you load them with 357, the recoil impulse is decidedly unpleasant, even for like <laughs> a fully grown uh, adult. And if you guys have never met Tessa in person, if you only have seen her on the internet, I cannot. So I met you in person for the first time at TACCON this year, I think. And I was surprised at how small you are. Um, I'm not a really big person myself, but I was like, I am much bigger than Tessa. And that <laughs> felt great. I'm like, ah, someone I can loom over. But in all seriousness, when you are, you know, uh, I'm, you know, I'm five, six, I'm 170 pounds. 
I don't like to shoot J frames with 357 Magnum ammo. I can't imagine if you're, you know, 410 and maybe weigh uh, 95 pounds or whatever. So it's not, not like, you know, you got like arms like thin. Uh, so moving aside from your terrible first gun experience, I think what's interesting about that and what kind of leads me into what I wanted to talk to you specifically about is you mentioned your entry into the lifestyle of carrying a gun was sort of via your husband. And a lot of times when that's someone's point of entry, they go through a rough process of getting to where you're at, where you have a very high level of you basically what what you've done is you somehow managed to find the right resources and download that information, and you skipped over a lot of the downloading really, really bad information that then had to be corrected out of you. So how did you do that? How did you end up, like, skipping a lot of the, you know, uh... I, 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 it's... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> skipping all of the, the, the bad, and you ended up with a lot of the good, like, really, really quickly. yeah. Um, well, honestly, it was through like guidance. Like when you're a, a day one beginner, you don't know up from down and you just don't know what you don't know. And so my like my husband was my introduction and I was fortunate enough to, uh, I don't know, to be married to someone who took it really seriously. Like he, you know, he was carrying a gun at the time uh, and he had been, you know, competing in USPSA since he was 13, I think. Uh, and so by the time he was introducing me to guns, he was, he was a, he was a really proficient shooter. And so, um, he's also a very patient person. He's generally good at instruction. Um, and so when he took me to the range, he was very patient and understanding. And, you know, we, we actually meshed quite well as a like husband and wife, teacher, student dynamic, uh, and I, that's actually not something that I recommend a lot of people do. I think generally that doesn't work super well. And I will say now, um, you know, that I'm a couple of years into it and I'm a much more confident shooter. I don't receive instruction from him quite the same way uh, because we, I have opinions now, right? Like I think a little bit differently about certain things or I think, I think I do. And then he shows me a, a technique that I think I'll oh, shoot that actually is probably better. That was, that was uh, better. That was more efficient. Yeah. Shoot. Oh man, you're right. Uh, but yeah, so he really helped me to avoid a lot of that. Um, but also I'm a completely different person. And when I approached concealed carry, um, I, I wanted, I thought I wanted to do it very differently from him. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of the mistakes that people will make in terms of like concealed carry, uh, holster selection, that was kind of the first, the first uh, challenge I feel like I faced kind of on, on my own in a way where I was trying to decipher what like good from bad. And I didn't necessarily receive his instruction well on that uh, because I thought girls carry guns differently than guys, guys do. And so this isn't something uh, you can advise me on. And I kind of went off on my own trying to carry in specific things that I'd seen other women carrying in. So that led me down the path of, you know, nylon holsters, uh, sticky holsters inside the waistband, um, belly bands, you know, the whole, the whole thing that a lot of like a lot of new, um, 
a lot of new concealed carries in general, but specifically with the like corset style belly band stuff, a lot of women fall into that, right? If it makes you feel uh, better and uh, people who have listened to the show before know this, uh, one of my, my first, my first concealed carry rig that I can actually remember, right? Like, cause I've been carrying a gun concealed for a really long time now. The first rig that I can actually like remember, because I remember how terrible it was. I was, I mean, I mean, it was unbelievably bad. It was uncomfortable. It didn't conceal for shit. Uh, absolutely terrible. Was an Uncle Mike's inside the waistband uh, holster that was left-handed, but I reversed it so that I could carry a four-inch Ruger GP100 small of the back with the butt pointing the wrong way for what you would consider small of the back carry so that was my first so yeah that does make me feel better <laughs> oh it was so so bad i mean i was you know i was 20 hang on i gotta think about this that was what i would have been what 26 i think maybe something so very very young very early into i had like been into guns and i knew i like shooting guns and stuff like that but that was kind of my first like i want to carry a gun for personal yeah. protection and while the revolver portion of the event hasn't really changed that much in the intervening 20 something years, uh, the way I carry them has certainly gotten a lot better. Yeah. So yeah. bad. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, that needless to say, when you, when you're a beginner, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Right. And I didn't uh, have the internet back then. Like I didn't have, I couldn't go to Filster's website and learn. I mean, we had the internet, but the level of resources back in oh, 2005 yeah, yeah. versus yeah. what we have now. I couldn't go to Filster's website and be like, oh, here's optimal concealment strategies for appendix carry inside the waistband, outside the waistband. I couldn't yeah. do that because it, it wasn't out there. Right. Well, and that kind of stuff, like today, there are so many resources. And that's what I'm you know, hoping and working to continue to grow on that. But at the same time, there's also so much garbage that you still have to sift through. So yeah, we have the internet today, but we also have to still, even as, you know, as a beginner, sift through the bad from the good. Um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely fell into the, some of those, you know, initial beginner mistakes, but, um, it, it just kind of became pretty apparent as I, as I tested my, my holsters, right? Like as I started dry firing and, you know, trying to use that stuff on the range, it became very clear to me that I wasn't using stuff that I could be using, you know, uh, it kind of sifted itself out. And I don't know that that is everyone's experience as they start to take shooting more seriously, their gear, uh, selection improves. Um, but I do think that a lot of the time when you're using something that's, you know, unsafe or, you know, considerably suboptimal when you start using it and actually kind of starting to pressure test it in a way it kind of eliminates itself from the equation once you kind of start to learn i think that like general range work will not eliminate bad gear from people's mm -hmm. uh because the, the scope of what can, is what is range work is an enormous broad scope right it can yeah. you know it can mean I go to the range once a month and I take my gun out of the, you know, uh, nylon gun case and I load it and then I shoot it and then I reload yeah. the, the magazine by hand and I do that. That counts as range work and that doesn't really, right. you know, validate gear. What does, right. what will always, and this is a, this is a, a conviction that I hold true, like very firmly, pressure testing your gear validates it. If you try mm -hmm. to take a suboptimal 
uh, holster setup to a class that has any sort of competitive non-consensual element in it, whether it's you go to a Langdon class and you do the super test and you want to win the super test and the guy next to you has a holster that he can draw really efficiently from and you've got to like fish around in your crappy Uncle Mike's or whatever to get your gun out, you're going to lose and that is going to make most people feel some kind of way, uh, whether <laughs> it's, you know, and that's that's my big thing is, any sort of gear that you're going to carry, whether it's for, uh, especially your concealed carry gear, you have to find an environment, whether it's competition or class or some sort of setting where you can test it in a way that you can lose. Test mm -hmm. it in a way where there is damage to your ego if your gear doesn't work right. And whether, again, that, and that can be, for some people, that starts at as low as getting made fun of by your friends on the range. And for other people, it's, you know, national championship level shooting or things like that. But that element of that pressure test of that competitive environment where you know you can lose and your brain goes, I don't want to lose. I don't want to freaking look stupid. I, I hate looking stupid. It's the worst um, yeah. is tough. And it's, I will say this, anybody who goes out with crappy gear, loses and looks stupid, and then goes out and buys better gear and comes back has a tremendous amount of respect for me, because that's probably the biggest hill that people can get over is going to any sort of competitive or training environment the first time is tough, getting made to look an ass and then going back again, really hard, really, really hard. So many yeah. people quit jujitsu, martial arts, working out, all of these other things after their first embarrassing attempt and never, ever go back. Right. Yeah. That was what my, my first USPSA experience was like. I went to, <laughs> my husband encouraged me to participate in a match and so did all the other people that were there. I'd go watch was him. Was that the compete. one you posted the video of in those horrifying tack pants shooting like a Glock yes. 48 or something? No, I was shooting my husband's iron sighted Glock 19. Ooh. Yeah. Not, it's not a bad gun, but no, 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 it it was it was it was the best thing. Like it wasn't a bad thing for me to get started with. It was just I think like a lot of other people when they go to their first match, I had an unrealistic uh view of what my shooting skill was like. Mm -hmm. And I didn't go into it thinking that I was gonna do, you know, amazing, but I went into it thinking I was gonna finish, which I didn't. Oh really? And uh-huh. Yeah. So my first match I, you know, I went to, and I had, I shot my husband's Glock 19. Um, and the, I think it was the second or third stage was there was a Texas star that was like 15 yards out. That's demoralizing and I for a lot of people. Exactly. And I, it was my first match shooting, you know, a, and it was also, I hadn't shot his Glock 19. I had only shot my Glock 42. That's what I was carrying at the time. That's what I was shooting when I went to the range. And so shooting his, I didn't, have any experience really shooting as Glock 19. So I went to that match, uh, first time drawing from outside the waistband uh, with, you know, his Glock 19 and I had a Texas star out at 15 yards. And so I didn't finish that stage and it was like the second or third stage. And the rest of the match was, everyone was so encouraging and nice. Like it was, it was a very encouraging environment, but I was all up in my head and, you know, negative self-talk after I had that, you know, failed stage. Um, and it took me, I signed up for another match like two months later and the morning of I cried and didn't go. Oh, that's kind of sad. <laughs> I, I feel bad for you now. That's, that's not, that's not fun. Um, I always uh, have to tell people that though, because people get so intimidated about going to matches and it's like, 
I'm going now, right? I go now and I enjoy it, but I had to do the really icky, uncomfortable part. Like I had to do the part where I failed. I had to do the part where I didn't want to go. And then like, once you start going and getting better is when you can start enjoying it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny. I think I've been, I'm trying to, I've been shooting matches for a really long, for a long time now as well. And it's funny because I still think of myself as being early in my shooting career, but I've been, I'm not anymore um you're old just, now yeah i hey easy <laughs> uh i'm experienced there's a difference and part of that is because i still feel like i have so much left to learn about shooting about my own ability to perform about where i can push where i can't push and things like that yeah. but it is funny when you talk about not so i i am an extremely competitive person um and so the idea of like not wanting to go back is crazy to me. Like, I'm like, no, of course I would want to go back because I can always do better. I can always beat one more person, you know? And I think that when you have two, there's definitely people whose mindset is not, they're not wired like that. And I can understand, you know, having that first bad match experience would be difficult to get them back to the range on that. And I want to, I want to drag this conversation a little bit into the lane where, uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, because it's a, a topic that I go back and forth on. You mentioned that your first USPSA match was a very supportive environment. And I have, by and large, found the shooting sports in general, whether it's USPSA or IDPA or Steel Challenge, to be supporting, accepting environments of both of new shooters, regardless of their gender or age. Uh, we experienced people in the shooting sports understand that our sport dies without new blood so whenever new people show up we're like yay a new person let's be nice to them and then it's after like five years where we start to haze you um but in all seriousness that so that moves me over to this idea of uh women's only classes and women's only events and i I'm constantly going back and forth on these. And with the caveat, I am not a woman. I do not understand. I, I do not understand the unique experiences that a woman, especially someone who is not part of gun culture, might have coming into this space where you are entering an environment that is intimidating, that is very, you know, traditionally masculine, male dominated and all of that. So there's a part of my brain that is like, this is a good thing. We should have more of these things because I want people to feel comfortable coming into this environment. And then I see some of the content that comes out of these things and I go, oh dear. So I, you know, you, you are a woman and I don't know, you know, if you were like from what you would consider a traditional like gun culture background or anything like that, but talk to me a little bit about some of those experiences that you've had, because you've had two that we mentioned uh, offline that I really want to kind of get into. Right. So first thing I want to mention, because it goes uh, along the lines of the things we were just talking about and this, um, and that is one of the reasons that going to matches was so um, really anxiety inducing for me um, was not the shooting aspect necessarily. Um, it wasn't that, you know, there was a lack of support from, you know, the other competitors or anything like that. Um, it was, you know, pressure that I put on myself and I, I struggled to articulate this, man. I'm going to do my best. Um, the thing that was really hard for me going back to matches was knowing that I was not the be like not the best shooter there, but also that I wasn't necessarily even in the the middle of the road. You know, right. I was on I was in the bottom you know class of shooters there, 
And I was also the only girl. So I would show up to a match and I felt that I would be. How's that bad? Uh, you want high lady every time. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so I guess the the thing that was, was uh, challenging for me in that is that I felt like I was representing women poorly. Like okay. it felt That's like fair. I was showing up to matches and I was perpetuating this idea that, that women aren't serious about shooting. And it wasn't that I wasn't serious about it. It was just that I was just getting started. Um, and that goes into, you know, all women's classes is a lot of them. In fact, I've never seen a women's class that is not a beginner's class. And so that's, that's one of the things about women's classes is that it's, it's the assumption. There's two assumptions that are generally made. Um, and that is that all women are beginners. If you're a girl doing gun stuff, then you're a beginner or that, um, if there is a women's class happening, it is for beginners only. Interesting. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes sense. And I've never, that is not a thought that has ever permeated my brain before this moment, but it is, as I look back on the women's classes, women's only classes that I've been aware of, you're hundred percent correct. They are marketed exclusively for entry-level shooters, uh, I have never even heard of something like a women's only intermediate class or, you know, some interesting. Yeah. Mm. So before we got onto, you know, this podcast, I was doing some reading from Kathy Jackson from the cornered cat and also Annette Evans from on her own. And they both had uh pretty similar viewpoints on that. Like they both very much felt, the same thing that there are, there are not really women's classes that are not only for beginners. Um, and also that generally the assumption is that when a girl shows up to a shooting thing, whether it's a class, whether it's a match, um, or even a gun store, the assumption is that they are beginner. So when a, you know, a woman walks up to the gun counter, um, I'm interested in looking at this thing. The assumption is that she is buying her first gun. Now, would you thing. say that, that's true across the board or would you say that there are environmental exceptions right like i was in a class i took gabe when i took gabe white's class uh earlier this year and there was uh there were two three women in it and i didn't assume any of them were beginners because they were in a gabe white class like the environment <laughs> so but that's the environment in my head precludes you being a beginner because that is not a beginner level class so I think that uh, that could be, I think there's like some nuance to that. I think that's part of you and your thinking. And you're also able to potentially like differentiate, um, you know, you can maybe decide if somebody is more on the beginner side of things based off of, off of what they brought to the class, like mm. how prepared they are. Um, you know, yeah, the fact that they're at a Gabe White class certainly says something, but I've shown up to, I showed up to a Steve Anderson class. Um, and at the time I didn't have a competition set up. So I was shoot, I brought my Enigma with my Glock 48 and oh, man. if you uh, said you shot a Glock 42 in a Steve Anderson class, that would have been the tightest shit ever. I mean, it's still showing up with a Glock 48 from concealment. That's I pretty was, legit. I was very much the odd man out, but the thing that was, uh, kind of funny about it was that, you know, day one in this class, we did a lot of drawing from the holster and trying to get our times down. And I, I've never shot that fast before. I've never drawn a gun that fast before. And I haven't done it since. Um, but two times in a row, I drew in 0.78, like draw to first shot, 
0.78 and then 0.8. Um, and you know, all the other students in the class were like, whoa, that's crazy. Afterwards, I was talking with one of the male students and he said, when you showed up to class and I saw that I saw that you had a Glock 48 from concealment, I thought, oh no, this girl is going to hold up the entire class. Mm. Uh, it makes you feel any better. That's what I get whenever I show up anywhere with a revolver. People are like, oh, he's going to yeah. hold up the class. And I'm like, listen, let's, right. let's find out. Right. Uh, and in that case, it wasn't necessarily the fact that I was a girl showing up to the class, but I wouldn't be surprised if that compounded the opinion. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, but yeah, as far as good. No, I, I'm just I'm, I'm just thinking about it. And I'm uh, I think you're right that my my lens colors my thought process on that, too, because, you know, if I see so one of the girls that showed up to this class was had a Glock, uh, she had a Glock 19 with a. I don't know. It was a, it was a decent quality optic. I don't remember if it was an RMR or a hollow sun and she had a surefire light on it and was carrying appendix. And I'm like, none of those things scream beginner to me, but what's crazy is they could now because you could go and download all of that information and you can like clone what, you know, someone is doing and you could be a beginner and show up with that, but you've bought all the right gear. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, as far as uh, my experiences in women's only classes, I think that I kind of have, I haven't done a lot of it, right? Like mm -hmm. I haven't taken a lot of women's only classes. I kind of was thrown into um, co-ed classes. My first class was uh, John Johnson's Tests and Standards. That was your first <laughs> that class? Was, that was my first class. Um, and unfortunately, my my husband had really, truly gotten me uh, started really well with the fundamentals. Like I, that class was also my first time shooting with an optic. I showed up with a completely new gun with a completely new sighting system and it worked out really great. It was a, a great first class, but that's just to say that I haven't had, a, I haven't done a lot of women's only classes. And I think one of the reasons that I haven't is, well, there's a couple of reasons. There's really not that many of them. There's not that many women's only classes um, available. And like I said earlier, they're beginners classes. And right. so when I was finally at a place where I, I wanted to pursue um, formal firearms training, you know, aside from my husband taking me to the range, um, I wasn't really, um, I wasn't necessarily feeling like I needed a day one beginners course. Um, and I was invited to, you know, John's class. And so once I'd taken that class, it, there was not really, I didn't really have a strong desire to go to a women's only class because I'd had such a positive experience in a co-ed class. Um, and so I just went along my merry way pursuing co-ed classes, mm -hmm. um, and matches and things of that sort. I'd only had really positive, mostly positive experiences. Right. Um, I didn't do my first women's only experience until I went to, um, kind of like a, a women's, uh, shooting gathering at my local range about a year ago, we move a lot. I wanted to go try something where I could meet other women who liked guns. Uh, and unfortunately I, you know, I showed up, I, you know, put my ear pro on and my eye pro on and I hopped out of the truck and there were already some girls shooting. Uh, we were in like a 360 bay and, uh, I walk up, I'm like probably 10 feet behind the line and there's no RO really to be seen. And one, you know, the girl that was shooting, you know, stopped shooting and turned around with her gun like this. And sure enough, I'm on the other end of her muzzle. And I'm like, ah! you know, it was very exciting. What an experience. Yeah. So I, I did, that was a, 
that was not only was that a negative experience, but the fall the follow through on that was, you know, the RO came over uh, and she we explained the situation to her and her response was like, well, that was a silly thing to do now, wasn't it? There was no there was no correction done. It was just like, well, what were you thinking? You know, gall, you just goodness gracious kind of thing. And like, I, here's the thing, you can handle that in a way that you don't discourage someone from, you know, the shooting sports, but you also have to make it very clear that we don't point guns at people, you know, unless yeah. they need guns pointed at them. Uh, right. And I don't feel like you needed a uh, gun pointed at you in that environment. Well, and I've, I've seen that done really well. And I think that's why that I'm well, it, it was a colored negative experience for a number of reasons, but I have also had a gun pointed at me one other time in a class setting. and. Um, and in that class, it was very much said beforehand what would happen if that did occur. Um, you know, if if you do this thing, you will be you will be done shooting for the day and you will be welcome to stay and we will give you a blue gun if you so choose, or you can stay like you know, stay behind the line and just take notes and learn. Um, but this, it was already kind of set beforehand what would happen if something unsafe occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when it, when this, when this student that was directly to my left, um, went to bend down and pick up their magazine, their and gun came with them and they pointed the gun at me. Um, and I just, I grabbed their slide and said, I'm going to take this now. Um, and, and the, you know, the, the instructor came over and handled the rest of the situation. She was done shooting for the day. The, that was, that was a, a good experience because it was handled so well. Mm-hmm. And my safety was no longer in jeopardy after that. Right. Whereas in this situation, in this women's only event, um, it was like, oh, honey girl, that was just, you shouldn't have done that, you know? And there was nothing done. She was, you know, allowed to continue shooting for the day. There was no, um, you know, there was nothing there was nothing done about it. Uh, so that I, I, that was my first women's only class experience. Uh, my second was kind of, uh, untraditional and a, a really cool experience in that, um, I was asked to come as a student, but also kind of as an AI. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a interesting experience in that way, but this particular class was, uh, really small. There was five or six women there, uh, and they were all military spouses essentially there was a meeting going on at like an FRG meeting going on. All of their husbands were getting prepared to deploy. And uh, the guy teaching the class asked the, asked all the women in the, the room, how many of you, uh, how many of you have had your husband say, you know, this gun is our home defense gun. I'm going to leave it on the nightstand while I'm gone. If you hear a bump in the night, this is what you're going to use. Um, and they all, every hand goes up, all of them in the room, put their hand up. And then he goes, how many of you could tell me if that gun was loaded or unloaded? all the hands went down. And hmm. so he goes, we need to solve this problem because you all have guns uh, in your home and all of your your spouses are leaving the person who is typically in charge of handling them. And none of you know how to, how to handle them or use them. Uh, and so he took it upon himself to plan this women's only class uh, and to which I was invited to. Interesting. And it was great to tell you the truth. Um, it was, it was a, it was a great class. Uh, the ladies really got to understand um, the fundamentals. Uh, it was a it was a supportive environment, um, and I can see a lot of benefits that come out of that. Right? It was all of these ladies' first you know shooting experience, um, and you know they were having trouble with things like racking the slide, 
you know, and then just other normal beginner things, you know, understanding how to use trigger, understanding how to grip the gun, how to hold the gun, all of that. Um, and yeah, it was a, it was a really good class and I thought it was handled really well. Uh, but I could definitely get into some of the things that are not super awesome about some co-ed classes. Um, and some things that are, I think, really beneficial about doing women's only. All right. Give me one thing that's not super awesome about co-ed classes. And then one thing that's great about women's only classes, because we are running out of time. Okay. Uh, so one thing that is not super great about some co-ed classes is I'll give you two really quick. Uh, one of them is the, especially when I'm the only girl, there's no other women there, which is usual, uh, is sexual and crude joking coming from students or the mm. instructor. It, it it can just be so completely inappropriate and uncomfortable, particularly when I'm the only girl. There's no other girls for me to like, oh, kind of scoot away with while right. these conversations are occurring. And and a lot of the time they'll they'll relate to something that's just completely inappropriate that it's just not cool to say with especially only one girl there. Um that doesn't, I've, that's not been my experience that that kind of thing occurs in a women's only class. Um, and then the other one is that uh, I think guys maybe are comfortable with just being in, usually being in a class that are only guys. And more than once I have been on the line doing my thing in a class and a guy goes like 10 feet away from me and is just like peeing just right there. <laughs> so All right, that's so, like, hey, guys. Don't be fucking gross. If there are girls in, if you wouldn't do it in front, you know what, actually, I was going to say if you wouldn't do it in front of your mama, but some of you guys very clearly were motherless animals. Uh, <laughs> and if for, This is actually something we've talked about on the show before with just me and Jack and Keith. Don't be gross in classes, guys. All right? Be cool. Okay? Be respectful in your language. Like, and if, and look, I get it. Like, we like to have a good time. But if you say something, and it makes someone uncomfortable and they say, hey, could you not uh, be cool? But we have to create an environment where the expectation is that if someone like Tessa comes to me and says, hey, I didn't appreciate that joke you just told, my reaction to that should be, I'm sorry, I apologize. That's the reaction. That's how that exchange goes. I tell an inappropriate joke. Tessa says, hey, that joke wasn't cool. That made me uncomfortable. I say, I'm sorry, I apologize. And everybody's cool. That's how that goes. That's it. It's the one way that interaction is supposed to go. Anything outside of that is not cool. Yeah. And for the love of God, go around the corner to pee. Okay. Yeah. Break visual contact. All right. Look around. <laughs> no one can see me. Fantastic. What are you, a dog? Like, I don't want people to watch me peeing. Come on. Okay. That's, that's out of pocket. All right. I'm so really give me glad something you. good about women's classes. Uh, so there's no a couple peeing. of things. Right. Other than that, there, I think there's a couple of things and I wish we could, we had more time to talk more in depth about that because I think it's a pretty awesome topic to get into. Uh, but two really positive things about women's only classes is that generally there's less fear of judgment coming from fellow students. Mm. Uh, and, and alongside that there's, uh, less pressure from ourselves internally to show up to a women's only class. I'm not feeling like I have to prove something. I'm not feeling I have to prove, you know, to the guys anything. Right. Mm. Um, and then the other thing, uh, and Annette and, and Kathy Jackson got into this, uh, in the articles I was reading before this, but 
it allows the instructor to address women's specific issues, whether that's concealed carry related, um, not necessarily shooting related, right? But um, like Annette pointed out, you it's really weird to talk about bra holsters in a co-ed class. Yeah, um, and then and then there's just other things that are, you know, more serious discussions uh, where, you know, women are more likely to be victims of sexual assault. And um, not always, but a number of the, t- uh, uh, not a number of the times, but there, there is more likely to be a female in a women's only class who has maybe experienced something to that extent. Um, and it, it can be, uh, I don't know that I should say it like addressed, but they can feel more safe in that space. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because no, maybe they came to concealed carry because of that, right? Yeah. I think that providing an environment where people feel comfortable talking about if they had a traumatic experience that brought them to carrying a gun, having an environment where they're comfortable talking about that experience and not feeling like they're sharing, you know, something bad in front of, you know, especially men uh, is, is a great thing. And I think that we could probably have this conversation for another hour, but unfortunately we are out of time. So Tessa, tell people where on the internet they can find you and your content. Uh, you can find me on the YouTubes as armed and styled, and you can find me on the Instagrams as armed underscore and underscore style. (laughs) Fantastic. Tessa, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you guys out there for listening, liking, sharing, and subscribing. Make sure that you share this podcast with your friends. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. If you're not already a subscriber, hit the notification bell so that you can get notifications with new episodes drop. And if you are listening on iTunes, Spotify, or our one Google podcast listener who's still clinging on out there, please make sure to go ahead and leave us a five-star review because it does actually help us in the algorithm. Again, Tessa, thank you so much for your time and hopefully we'll be able to have you back on soon thank you